Well, the 23rd Psalm is undoubtedly one of the best known passages of the entire Bible. And uh, looking at just uh, the first three verses from Psalm 23 this morning, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Now, some translations would say he restores my soul. Whether that soul is restored or refreshed, that's a good thing, isn't it? You think about something that just kind of makes you say, Ah, that's what God does for our souls, David is saying here. And so you imagine whatever it is that kind of allows you to try to breathe that sigh of relief. Whatever that place is, whatever it might look like, it might be alongside those waters and just the sound of that water making you just kind of just breathe that sigh. That moment where your soul is refreshed. I remember a brother in Christ one Sunday evening uh, coming up to me after we had worshipped and, uh, and he made the comment. He said, that was refreshing. Now that's not a term that people often have used around me. That was refreshing. And so it kind of, it, you know, I remember it all these years later, a simple comment on a, after a simple Sunday evening worship service. But I was, I, I, it made an impression on me. The idea that him being there that evening, that what we sang, that what we prayed, that what was spoken that night was refreshing to him. And I hope that it's always refreshing in some way. Sometimes more than others, I get that. The way Rick led 10,000 angels this morning was refreshing to me. I know this might surprise you. I, I cried just a little bit. Just a little. And I never remember having that kind of emotion, but that pause before that fourth verse, Rick... That was something. Because when you said, this is the song before communion, I thought, that's that's a little bit raucous before communion. But not when you sing it like that. Don't know who requested it, but I thank them. And so, this idea that our soul is refreshed in some way. What David is saying here is, he refreshes my soul. And if you will allow Him, He will refresh your soul as well. And then it begs the question though, what is a soul? The dictionary definition being the spiritual or immaterial part of a human being regarded as immortal. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, and there, there he has two that I keep coming back to, and this is one of them. I know many of you have heard me say it before, but 
it works so perfectly with today's subject. But Lewis said decades ago that we typically think of ourselves as a person or a body, I think is what he says in the quote, as a body that happens to have a soul. He said when in reality we are a soul that happens to have a body. And that quote resonates with me because I know what it's like to have that idea, that sort of false idea, as Lewis points out, that here I have a body, this is me, the flesh, the bone, the joints that day by day creak a little more often. This is me though. And that somewhere down in there, I don't know, maybe somewhere between the aorta and the spleen or something, is this thing called a soul. But that's not really it, is it, church? Because if the soul is what lives on in eternity, then that is who we are, isn't it? We are a soul. God just gave us a physical vessel. The physical vessel that as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, the physical vessel will at some point fail us. Some sooner than others. But at some point, this, the flesh and the bone, it gives way. It wears out. It expires. But that inner part of us, that part that is really who we are, that's the part that lives for eternity. That's the part that's going to hear, well done, faithful servant. It's not this flesh and bone. It's not this right here. No. It's going to be our soul. Jesus teaches about the soul in Matthew 22, or at least gives it a mention that his audience would have understood the frame of reference. In Matthew 22, beginning with verse 34, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And so Jesus is simply quoting there from the Shema, from Deuteronomy 6, what his Jewish audience, and we know that there are Jews there because the Sadducees and the Pharisees are accounted for in this section of the Gospel. They've been coming to him, and even the Herodians are involved, if we were to read that whole thing. These different sects of Judaism who were wanting to kind of bring Jesus down a notch. 
if not discredit him altogether. And so we're told there by Matthew that they keep trying to come up with a way to test him. And so we're told that he silenced the Sadducees and now the Pharisees send one of their best and brightest. They trot him out. To, well, hey, you know, you're, you, you finished first in your class in rabbinical school. You just, you just head on out there and, and you see if you can bring him down. And so Jesus simply quotes this that God-fearing Jews would have known quite well because they're directed in Deuteronomy 6 to say it every day that this is what you're to be about. Love the Lord your God. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. That right there, setting them apart from the people around them that were pluralistic and worshipped multiple gods. But hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. He's the true God. He's the only God you need. And so you love that God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And so Jesus teaching us here that the soul is something that should love God. It's not just something we refer to. Heart and soul. Soul food. No. It's real. It is the realest and most eternal part of us. This soul that Jesus speaks of. book that I recommended five years ago. I looked back and figured out the last time I used this and, and preached on the soul. It was in 2017. It's been that long. And so... Uh, I still recommend this book today, John Ortberg, Soul Keeping. And in the book, he opens chapter 6 with a reference that really got my attention because it was the year that Stacy and I got married, 1991. He mentions this film, What About Bob? Uh, starring Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfus. And uh, uh, that was the year Stacy and I got married. And I remember us uh, going to see this in the theater. And uh, watching it later on the, I was going to say on the DVR. No, that was the VCR back then with, uh, with her parents. We liked it so much. But uh, in the movie, Bill Murray plays the title character, Bob. And he is a neurotic, phobic, obsessive, compulsive personality. And he has no shortage of needs. Uh, uh, Ortberg writes here, innumerable needs. You can't count them. Uh, and he's, he he's quotes uh, Bill Murray uh, describing to his therapist, played by Richard Dreyfus, you know the the symptoms that he is dealing with. And he says problems breathing, problems swallowing, numb lips, fingernail sensitivity, various d physical discomfort. What if my heart stops beating? What if I'm looking for a bathroom and I can't find one and my bladder explodes? And you get the idea. This is a guy who worries about a lot of stuff. And he says that uh, you know Richard Dreyfus plays the exasperated, impatient therapist who cares for him. And he says, your soul is like Bob. And you're like Richard Dreyfus. 
And he's pointing out that it is the nature of the soul to need. That God wires us. God creates us in His image. The soul that is within us needs God. And the problem is when we give the soul something besides God. That's all the stuff that we look for in life that we might say we're, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. We're looking for a love that only God can provide. And we fill it with all kinds of things. And as I see all your faces this morning, boy, as varied as we are sitting in the room this morning, the things that we fill our lives with because we have this need within us. And so instead of God, we might fill it with stuff. We might fill it with the pursuit of happiness that comes from falsely, but that comes from uh, success, financial success. The bigger house, the nicer car, the stuff that we find really isn't going to matter. You know, Solomon writes about this saying that he looked for everything under the sun that he had lots of wives that he had lots of cattle out in the field that he built lots of things that he had orchards as big as the eye as far as the eye could see and that none of it matters he calls it meaningless a chasing after the wind and he was noted as being the wisest man on earth in his time. And if he says having all that stuff, having all those women at his disposal, that all of it was just meaningless. And Solomon is coming to terms with the idea that his soul needed something and all the stuff that he was trying to satisfy it with we're falling way short. That yes, God wires us to have a need. And that need can only be filled by God. Not with money, not with sex, not with power. That all leaves us short. It's only God that can truly supply that need. This quote from Ortberg says, For the soul to be well, it needs to be with God. Our souls were made to walk with God. In Matthew 16, if we look over there, beginning with verse 21, this is the first of four times in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus is going to predict His death. And in this case, it comes right after uh, that, that Jesus has asked, well, who do you say I am? And uh, that Simon Peter steps forward and makes this wonderful declaration and says, well, you're the Messiah. You know, you're the, you're, you're the Son of God. 
And Jesus responds and tells him, yeah, on that confession is what my church will be built on this day forward. And so... Uh, and we get to verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I'm going to pause there for just a moment because in the Jewish tradition of the the master and the disciple, it was unthinkable for the student to even question the teaching of the master, let alone to pull him aside and rebuke him. You know, in other words, Peter has forgotten himself in this moment. Uh, And uh, Jesus acts accordingly because those are strong words when he looks one of his disciples in the eye and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, you've got to imagine if you're Peter... And the teacher that you've been following around for a while looks at you and says, Get behind me, Satan. To our knowledge, the last time he said those words, he was talking to, well, Satan. And so to look Peter in the eye and say that very same thing, Get behind me, Satan. Get on out of here. Because what's the problem here? Church, Peter is trying to do what people often do. He's trying to put Jesus in a box. He's trying to say, no, no, you're not going to go and do that because that's not what we need. Well, of course, it is what we need, right? As Rick Jones reminded us this morning, we needed him to be the lamb without blemish, to be the perfect lamb, the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. But Peter doesn't understand that yet. And I don't think if any of us were in his shoes, we would have understood it either. It's just the 11 other guys had enough sense not to say anything. And so Peter, being bold to his credit sometimes and to his detriment sometimes, is the one that steps forward and says, hey, come over here and let's talk. Now, you need to stop this. You're scaring me and the other fellas. Now, I don't know where you're going with all this, but just stop it. Get behind me, Satan. Because Peter is trying to say, listen, that's not what I want. This is what I want. I want you here with us. And Jesus is saying, it's not about what you want. He's saying to us today, church, it's not about what you want. Notice I took the time to point at the entire congregation there, right? Back at me. It's not what we want. And then he goes on to break that down. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels and then will reward each person according to what they have done. And what He is saying here is, you want to feed the soul? You want your soul to truly live? Then set aside your desires. That's what He's saying when He says, lose your life. He's saying, whatever ideas that you have about what life should look like, you need to take all that and bundle it up, stick that in a box, and then set it over here to the side. That's what you need to do with the life that you think it should be. And instead, follow God. Look for His will in your life i got to tell you, church, I've been seeking that for a long time. And it doesn't mean that life then becomes boring. That life then, because we're setting aside the life that we wanted, and, and, setting us, and, and, and following God, and seeking His will in our life, it may be God's will for you to be successful in business and then to use that success in ways that bless His kingdom. It may be God's will that you set aside all the vocation and all the things that you thought about and you become one of His preachers. I know a little something about that. Forty years old made a pretty significant career change. And here I am, Hohenwald, Tennessee, in 2022. Church family, our soul lives, our soul flourishes when we seek God's will in our life. When we are devoted to reading His Word, when we're devoted to praying, it is amazing the way God can bless us in ways that we never would have imagined. When we start serving His kingdom, and on the outset of that service, we think about our own sacrifices. We think about the things that we're going to give up in order to serve others. But then we quickly realize that how we are recipients of serving others. There's people sitting in this auditorium this morning that I'm so thankful for because at some point you decided to teach a class and you could tell stories about how the children that you taught blessed you there are people here who have served in the pantry pantry ministry who have served House of Hope who have served a Hope Center down the road And whatever that ministry is, I can't name them all this morning, whatever that looks like, 
you know what it's like to be a recipient of a blessing because you set your life, your desires, your preferences aside and you made what might have been a minimal sacrifice to bless the life of someone else. And what you quickly saw was that it truly is better to give than to receive. That in giving, we ultimately do receive. And so, a life with God, a life where we set aside our own desires, our own plans, and are willing to say to God, God, show me, lead me. It may be, church, that He leads you down the very path that you had planned on going anyway. It's just that you view that path through a different lens. And then you see how you bless others. Maybe you wanted to be a teacher or a coach. And God says, no, that's good. I can use that. I can use you. Maybe it's in health care. And then God says, no, that's good. That's good. You have that desire? Yeah. We're going to use that for the glory of my kingdom. Think about those people we talked about earlier in this assembly. Those firefighters, those police officers, 911 dispatchers, EMTs. They're living a life of service each and every day. And if they do it with God in their heart, they can do it for the glory of His kingdom. In closing today, it's a short verse and a very short letter tucked away at the end of the New Testament. But let's not let that make us think that, allow us to think it's insignificant. From 3 John 2, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Church family, that's the blessing I have for you this morning. That may it all go well for you as it goes well with your soul. If you are with us today and you have not yet started down a path that says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I want to begin nourishing my soul today and forevermore, then we offer the invitation so that you can take advantage of God's grace. You can take advantage of this free gift of salvation through the blood of Christ. The waters of baptism are available. If you're with us this morning and you have some need you need to bring before us, something we can pray about with you and on your behalf in the days to come, then we offer the invitation for that reason as well. Let's stand together and sing.